Father, um, this morning is yours, just as every day is yours, Lord, and we invite you into this place. We invite you to, to rebirth us. Father, we invite you to transform us, to mold us, to shape us. Lord, may this morning bring you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, it's interesting, the past couple of weeks we've been talking, uh, referencing the movie The Matrix. And for me, The Matrix has been just one of those movies that just kind of, I, I look for things in movies all the time. I'm always learning from movies, and I, I don't know how it happens, but I think God just opens my eyes to a lot of things through movies. And so The Matrix is one that has been one, a very interesting journey. And uh, we referenced it, like I said, a, a couple of times. But there's a specific scene that we showed a couple of weeks ago where we're basically Morpheus. Morpheus is the guy who is taking this character, Neo. And if you've never seen the movie Matrix, Neo is this guy who's figuring things out. He's He's in this world, but he's like, just there's something more. And he kind of begins to walk this journey, and this man Morpheus is introduced to him to go, and says, I'm going to show you what there is to this more that you're looking for. And he offers him this, these two pills. He says, you take this pill, you can go back to your life, you can, rem you can forget everything that you've, that, you've, that you've thought, that you've been struggling with, or you can take this pill, and I will show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And so Neo responds and says, okay, well, well I'm going to take this pill and you're, I'm going to follow you and, and I'm going to learn what exactly is this more to life. And the next scene is a very disturbing kind of images that you, that you see and, and Neo is actually plugged into this thing and then he's, you, you, the next scene you see is him laying in this like pod of goo. And it's kind of weird, and you're like, what, this is kind of freaky, this is, this is messed up. But then you see his eyes open in this goo, and it's kind of scary, and I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? And he starts freaking out in the goo, and he punches his way out of this little pod. And as he sits up, he looks out, and he sees all these millions of other people in these pods completely asleep to what's going on. And so the next scene is, is Neo, like, <coughs> pulling this thing out of the back of his head, basically unplugging himself from this system of lies, I guess, that the matrix represents. And so after this, like, shocking, daunting, jerking around kind of scenes, you know, that you see on the camera, the, the next scene is, is Neo kind of waking up, and he's looking right into the eyes of Morpheus, and he asks, because everything has been so shocking to him, am I dead? And Morpheus looks at him and says some, some words that have just rung louder in my ears the past several weeks, and Morpheus looks at him and says, no. You are now more alive than you have ever been. And I remember going, that is exactly what this picture that you just saw represents. And, and, and because I'm such a visual learner, a visual person, when I see stuff like this, I'm constantly reminded of the stories Jesus walked through and the encounters that he had with people. And there's one in particular, and you heard new life, new New life, you know, the, the coming into existence recently, you know, those kind of things. In John chapter 3, and you guys are actually going to see it on the screen, I want you to read the words of this encounter that this man has <coughs> with Jesus. And the man's name is Nicodemus, and he's a, he's a Pharisee uh, or a, and a religious kind of person. And back in the day, Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't get along about much, but the one thing they got along about is how much they hated Jesus. And Nicodemus was a man who, who snuck out in the middle of the night to go and meet with Jesus. And there are people that have their different reasons as to why Nicodemus did what he did. There are people that say, well, he was ashamed. He didn't want people to know that he was a religious leader going to this Jesus who everyone of the religious circle did not like. But there are also some that say that Nicodemus probably came out in the middle of the night because he was smart. 
Because all during the day, Jesus was completely surrounded by crowds of people. And so maybe Nicodemus just wanted some quality time with Jesus. And he was smart because in the middle of the night, most people are asleep. And so you see this happening. So in John chapter 3, this is the encounter that is recorded for us. Um, John chapter 3 verse 1 says this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. It's interesting that um, this religious leader who has all of these answers, basically, he's supposed to be the wise one, he's supposed to be the one who has everything figured out, comes to Jesus and Jesus completely baffles him. I find myself completely baffled by Jesus a lot of the time. You know, and, and it's one of those things where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says these things. He says, you know what? We recognize that you're from God and you're doing these miracles and that's awesome. And you would think Jesus would be like, finally, somebody's paying attention. Finally, somebody is getting this. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus looks right at him, goes, blasts right past all of Nicodemus' flattery and says, I tell you the truth. You must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. Like Jesus didn't even mess around with the flattery that Nicodemus may have been offering him. He said, you must be born again. He went right to it. And what's amazing about that is how Jesus does the same thing to us. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus what he wanted to hear. Jesus told Nicodemus what he needed to hear. And, and isn't it shocking when somebody tells us what we need to hear? But isn't that real love? Doesn't real love do that? Doesn't real love tell somebody, despite all of their preconceived ideas, all of their thoughts on life, but when somebody looks you in the eye and tells you what you need to hear, isn't that love? I think it is. When I look at that and I see the unconditional love that God said, you know what, I'm going to give them what they need, not what they want. And when Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus, it rocked Nicodemus' world. It completely transformed the way Nicodemus was looking at things. He actually goes, Jesus says, you know what, you guys can tell you know, you see, you can hear where the wind is coming from, and you can, but you can't, you don't know where it's going, and you don't know where it's come from. The same way, you can't explain the way the Holy Spirit brings new life. And this is freaking Nicodemus out, because he's a man who has based his whole entire life on things that he knows and things that he understands, based on the law. And so Jesus blasts right past that and says, you want to see the kingdom, you must be born <coughs> again. And, and I love Nicodemus' response because I think it's the most appropriate response. Excuse me? 
Jesus, I, I don't necessarily think you understand. I'm way, way old. And um, this whole crawling back into my mother's womb thing ain't really going to work. I think Nicodemus' response is appropriate because he doesn't get it. Jesus goes, you know what? I'm going to explain to you even more. And he says, it, it, what I love about this is because in, this, in, the, in the Greek, as you read this story, Jesus says, you don't need to be surprised that I said you need to be born again. And when he says you, it's actually like he was, if he was from the south saying y'all. It's so cool because Jesus, there are obviously people in the room with them as Nicodemus is discussing this. And so Jesus is looking at Nicodemus going, y'all need to be born again. Now, if you're from the north, it would be, you guys need to be born again. He's not just saying, you, Nicodemus. Jesus is cluing us in to what he is talking about. That is his message to the world, is that for us to enter to the kingdom of God, for us to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. And that's kind of, that's interesting because we like to think we have it all together, but Jesus says we don't really get how the Holy Spirit does it. How God's Spirit gives us new life. And God actually, I believe, describes what this new life looks like in Ezekiel. And it'll be on the screen as well. Um, and I'd love for you to read along with it. Sorry. In Ezekiel chapter 36, this is what God speaks. Then I, this is God, will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In order for you and I to stand before a holy God, there has to be forgiveness of sin. In order for us to be able to come into the presence of the Lord, there must be a cleansing that you and I cannot bring about on our own. And what's amazing about this is all the times I would encourage you to go home and read these verses again in Ezekiel and circle how many times the Lord says, I will, I will, I will, I will. Because for you and I, we do not like that because we like to be in control. I like to be the one that makes sure that I know that I can, do what, I can do what it takes to earn my way to get a relationship with God. I can do the right things. I can be the good person, but we can't. And so when I'm saying the phrase born again, I want to make it very clear what I'm not talking about. When I say born again and when Jesus speaks of being born again, he is not speaking of a second wind. What I mean by that is, you know, when we say the west side of Asheville has been born again, it's been rejuvenated, that is not what Jesus is talking about. When I'm saying, when Jesus is saying born again, he is not speaking of, well, if you can just get that next pay raise, things will be fine. If I can just get the right girl or the right guy or the right house or the right car, things will be good and I'll feel born again. That is not what Jesus is speaking of. When Jesus says born again, it is completely new life. 
completely. And I, I don't think we're fully convinced of that. I think we think being born again means Jesus takes the little things that are wrong with us and he changes it, makes it look a little better. You know, that, that whole thing of the way I think, he changes it a little bit. Those bad thoughts that I have, he takes those out. No, it's actually a complete deconstruction and regeneration is the phrase. You are regenerate, born again, new life. The old is gone, the new has come. That is Jesus' invitation this night, introduced to us through Nicodemus' question. We know that you're from God and all this stuff, and Jesus' response is, you're not going to see the kingdom unless you're born again. To rebirth. And it can be kind of shocking. It can be a very interesting um, journey, but I want to show you how. Jesus says we are born again. 1 John 5, 4 says this, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith in what? John 1 says this, He, Jesus, came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, and even they rejected Him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that he, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. In Titus chapter 3, once we too were foolish and disobedient, were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. And 1 Peter 1, 3 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. A renewed life, a renewed, restored, regenerated, born-again life only comes through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit did not just speak words to us to just kind of give us good thoughts about new life. The Holy Spirit did not just introduce us to a new poem that might encourage us when we wake up in the morning. It did not give us some words to put on our mirror to kind of get us motivated to live throughout the day. The Holy Spirit connects us to the person of Jesus. That is new life. That is how one is born again. John 6, 63. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Hear this. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 
This is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus saying, you know what? Your efforts accomplish nothing. And for us, that's kind of a hit to our pride, is it not? We like to think we can do things. We're very proud of our abilities. But the fact that we cannot save ourselves or introduce real, new, birth, born-again life on our own is shocking. And this week, as I was kind of preparing for this, I was again reminded of how completely lost I am apart from Jesus. I am completely reminded that outside of Christ, I am dead. I'm completely reminded that outside of Christ, I am morally incapable of doing the right thing. I'm reminded again of how salvation is in Him alone and not of my strength. And that scares me. And that's shocking because Jesus asks us to trust Him for new life. So, I guess when I, when I think of this whole new life and the, and the being born again and the, the Spirit giving birth to new life and me not really understanding how He does it but just trusting that Jesus is going to do what He says He is, I kind of sense that there's probably some of you in this room that probably respond like actual childbirth really is. You have those babies. They hear that their due date is August whatever. And then they say, I'm not going that long, my friend. I'm actually going to come three weeks early and it's going to surprise you. Because, man, there ain't no room in this thing. It's hot. I'm claustrophobic. I want out. I've got to breathe. I want to experience life. I want to stretch my legs. I'm coming and you ain't going to stop me. And then there's those babies that hear that they're due in October. And they say, you know what? I don't think so. I got everything I need right here. This womb is awesome. It's warm. No cares. Everything's cool. I get fed. Three square meals a day or however many you eat in there. I don't know. I tell my wife I'm really glad that I don't remember anything about being in the womb because I just get claustrophobic thinking about it. But then you have those babies that are like, you know, I'm just staying in here. There ain't nothing you can do. You can run a half marathon. You can jump up and down on trampolines. You can eat hot sauce till whatever. And ain't nothing going to move them. You know, and, and, there, and, and I kind of sense that there are some of you in this room that can relate to one of those two places. When it comes to the new life that Jesus offers us, I need it. I have been screaming. I can relate to this picture that I just saw. I have been screaming and I need a way out because I am stuck in the cycle of second winds and it's getting me nowhere. I have tried everything to bring about new life and I cannot do it on my own. And I really need to breathe for once. I need life. I need it. So Jesus... I'm coming. And then there's some of you that the idea of new life scares you to death. There's some of you in this room that are probably scared to death 
that Jesus could offer you new life because it's kind of unpredictable. There's no telling where Jesus is going to take you, where he might send you, how he might change you, how he might open your eyes to some things that you never saw before. And you, because of the comfort of the womb, will just choose to stay there because you know, you know something about it. And it's comfortable. Jesus says if we stay in the womb, if we stay asleep, if we keep our eyes shut to the new life that he offers us, we will miss it. And there's some of you that I think you have a view of Jesus that is pretty different than what Jesus spoke of himself. You heard Sherry read it before the, 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 the drama piece this morning that in John 3.16, probably one of the most quoted verses in the world, but John 3.17 comes right after it. And it says that Jesus came into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. Some of you are looking at Jesus as if he's the condemner and an accuser, and that is a lie. Some of you are sitting here going, but Jesus is pointing his finger at me, telling me, man, you're doing the wrong things. You know, there is an accuser, and his name is Satan. And he will try to accuse you and point his finger at you and tell you that you can't do things. And, and, and you know, he's right in some things. We can't bring about life. And so he's going to say, you know what? Keep doing what you're doing. But Jesus, by his own words, says that he came into the world to save the world. He does not stand as your accuser or you're pointing the finger at you guy. He stands as Savior. He's looking to bring you into a new life, born again life. You know, I, I used to really, the word born again Christian, because I've heard people say that to me. They're like, you're one of them born again Christians. And I used to kind of get embarrassed because when I think of the phrase born again, a lot of times I'm seeing the guy in the suit and the tie standing on the street corner yelling at people, telling them they're going straight to hell, all those things. And I used to get frustrated by the phrase born again but when I look at the New Testament and I see the believers going you know what born again is amazing Jesus brings about something that I can't bring about on my own it's a new life everything changes I don't know how many of you played video games but I do and uh, I still do and I'll proudly admit it but I started a long time ago playing video games and it wasn't one of those things where I, it wasn't pong or anything I'm not that old Sorry. But, but I did in third grade, in third grade, the Nintendo came out. The, the first Nintendo, not Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64. All those are pretty much garbage compared to the Nintendo. But anyways, <laughs> the Nintendo came out and I can remember getting that. And I can remember being like, oh, this is awesome. And then I got addicted to them and you, bec you become the, this gamer. It's like it brings this new thing out of you. It's gross. It's a terrible thing. But, but you get this perfectionist idea about how video games should be played. And gamers, you'll, you'll understand this. When you're trying to get through a game and it's just not working out, your favorite button is reset. <laughs> when you're like going through games, and, and me and my brother, we definitely tried to do this. We tried to get through a game without ever losing one life. And if we lost a life, reset. When my brother was starting to beat me in a game and I didn't like it, reset. When the computer was cheating, because it does, you hit reset.
There are those times in life when you were like, man, I just wish there was a reset button. <laughs> I really do. If I had it to do over again, I reset. And effectively, I believe what happens is things get set the way they should be when new life comes. That relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden with God the Father is restored as Jesus enters into your life. In Colossians chapter 1, I like this is a very good visual image. I'm a very visual person. Colossians chapter 1 says this, For He, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Reset. Things are set the way they should be. When you say, okay, you know what? I don't completely understand all this. And I will tell you the truth. When I came to know Jesus, when I said, you know what, Jesus, I will follow you with my life. The only thing I understood about Jesus was that he forgave sin. And I knew I had a whole lot of it. And the fact that he forgave sin past, present, and future blew my mind even more. Because that helps me understand how much Jesus actually does love me. That even knowing that I would make mistakes and screw up and fall down and get dirty, He would still choose the cross. He would still choose to give me new life. Kind of in closing, Hebrews chapter 2 says this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. He takes the heart of stone and gives us the heart of flesh. It doesn't sound like it's just Jesus or God tweaking the bad things about us. It sounds like He's resetting everything. This morning, you're going to see a time where there's going to be some people come stand around this room and they're going to have um, a plate with some crackers and, and a goblet with some juice in it. And there's one down here, right here in the front. And, um, and what this is about is this is about remembering what Jesus did. This is about remembering the sacrifice that Jesus did. The fact that he put his arms on the cross and died and bled and his body was broken and his blood was shed so that you and I could have new life. And there's one specific table down here this morning that I would invite those of you who God may have been wrestling with you and grabbing a hold of your heart and encountering you. And you know the interesting thing about God is God can be looking for you when you're not even looking for him. So there's some of you in this room who my guess is you're kind of being like, this is getting uncomfortable and I'm kind of feeling it a little bit and I don't know what to do. It could be one of those things where he's just inviting you onto the journey. It could be one of those things where God himself is saying, you know what, follow me. And so this morning, I'd like for, for those of you who maybe said, you know what, I've never 
said I wanted to follow Jesus, and I don't even understand everything about it, but I want to follow him. And if that's you this morning, um, Pastor Shannon and I will be down here, and it would be an honor to break bread with you this morning. For the rest of you, maybe that you've, you've put your trust in Christ. There will be people standing around, these, around this room. And for those of you that have, have faith in Christ, and you're saying, you know what, I have turned to Him for the forgiveness of my sin, then we want to invite you to, to break bread with us. Parents, use your discretion as, you, as your children. It's a great teaching opportunity to help your kids understand the sacrifice that Jesus made. But I do want to invite you if you have said, you know what, I, I, I've been doing the whole second wind, wind thing. I've been, I've been looking to do the next big thing to get me to the next big thing. And maybe that will carry me through this life. Or maybe Jesus' words of, for you to see the kingdom, you must be born again. is something that he is just touching your heart with. And if that's you, and, and maybe this morning you'd like to just express that, we'd love to, come, we'd love to share this moment with you. We'd love to break bread with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you in 